In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen you asked for it i know who you are out there you asked for more benjamin c george and i delivered i got the one and only benjamin c george back on the true life podcast i know you're excited we're going to get into some interesting things today it's always an incredible time with the one and only mr wizard we're going to get into this idea that he's got that he's been playing about this role-playing ai is going to get into it's, I'm sure, current events and the world unfolding around us. But before I start going too deep into the world of George, let me just introduce everybody back to the world of the other George, Benjamin C. George. How's it going, my friend? Uh, another day in paradise, brother. How are you doing? I'm living the dream, brother. I am out here in Hawaii living the dream. You know, before we get too deep into this, though, let me just... Why don't you just maybe refresh people's mind about who you are, the books that you've written, the No Absolute podcast, the ro- you know, just give people a little bit of a foundation so they know who you are. Uh, I'm just a I'm just a traveling wizard, you know. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about, George. No. <laughs> uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com. I uh, wrote a book, No Absolutes, kind of a philosophical take on uh, my theory of information. That's a bit more of the scientific side of things. And, uh, yeah, these days I just do a lot with automation, artificial intelligence, things like that. And, uh, you know, try to solve the world problems, you know, as a little at a time, whatever I have some time. <laughs> well said. And for those that are just tuning in, uh, Benjamin C. George was running a special. I don't know if he's still doing it now, but for all True Life podcast listeners, he used to run this special where if you went to his website, he would give you a PDF of his book for free if you're willing to commit to giving him some info about it. Are you still running that promo, Ben? Yeah. If anybody wants to read the book and give me a review, they can have it for free. I would recommend that. You know, I think that's kind of how we met up. Like I remember reading your book and the infographics in your book were mesmerizing to me. It was the first time I had really seen the way in which... 
I don't know. People, you have to go and look at these infographics. They, they'll blow your mind. They are a, a really good way of synthesizing the senses, the senses, if that makes sense. You were able to read and then see reality and like this weird 3D abstract model that made a lot of sense. So I'm just throwing that out there for people to go down and look. So, you know, I decided the other day, it was about a week ago, I was like, you know, these, these chatbots are getting pretty interesting. And I put my book into Google Bard and I asked it to review my book. Um, should I pull it up and yeah. what it said? Yeah, that would be amazing. I'll have to find it here one second. Okay. So go ahead and do some filler, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I didn't even know that Google Bard was this machine that could do book reviews for you. But why why not? I guess all these chatbots are they have a, they're only restricted by imagination in some ways. And so why can't they be a book reviewer? Why can't they be a book writer? Why can't they be a, a playful interviewer that can banter back and forth with you? They can be pretty much whatever you want them to be. It seems like. So, yeah, it's, um, there's some really interesting things that are happening. Uh, and it's going to take me a second to find these won't take me too long. Yeah, no worries. I'll just take this moment to talk to people about um, what has been going on in the in in the world of my book reading. You know, I've recently was rereading uh, Brandon Sanderson for my science fiction fans out there, and anybody that loves science fiction, uh, Brandon Sanderson has to be one of the best world builders out there. And I don't know. I I guess for me, the reason that I love science fiction so much is it seems to be a way in which people are imagining their lives in the future, which is kind of, you know, the, the problem, the problem Ben that I found about science fiction is that they all seem to be kind of dystopia. You know, there's no real good sort of look, it's all going to be awesome in the future. It's all sort of this Philip K Dick sort of, you know, uh Oh, here comes technology this way. So I don't know. Any thoughts on science fiction, Ben? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I guess they're not. So you have like, I, I saw this graph once and uh, it's a really interesting graph and it has like, you know, like science fiction and dystopian. And then you get to a certain like age of, of humankind and they turn all utopian. Mm. Like you get to like your Star Trek and stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, right. So, so there is, you know, but it, I think it's we always see our immediate future as dystopian and our you know our distant future as utopian in science yeah. in scientific lore it seems like yeah our shane smith what's up bud it's awesome to, it's awesome to talk to you man shane smith says ai is an amazing training tool to help people on the front lines with our customers seldomly discussed and it's basically free to implement shane i couldn't agree anymore i in fact that on some level, it's being discussed, and I think it's being discussed in that there will be all these jobs lost. But I think they're looking through the wrong lens, right, Shane? It seems to me that it is an incredible tool, and you basically can have your own think tank. You can have your own customer service. You can solve real problems in real time with all of these AI tools out there. What are your thoughts, Ben? Yeah, um, I you know I think while there is going to be a lot of job loss. Uh, I think we're going to see kind of a repurposing of society, mm. you know, a repurposing of the day to day <clears throat> and um, out of necessity. 
right? Because yeah, now you do have something that can run 24 hours a day, can solve problems, can start to, you know, not necessarily innovate on its own, but with just a little bit of the right nudging in the right direction, it certainly can. Um, yeah, so I found this here. Okay, let's check it out. All right. So it says, uh, No Absolutes, A Framework for Life is a book by Ben George that proposes a new way of thinking about the world. The book argues that we should abandon the ideas of absolute truths and instead embrace the fluidity of, and uncertainty of life. George believes that this new framework can help us to live more fulfilling and meaningful lives. The, the book is divided into three parts. According, This is according to Google Barton, mind you. Uh, finding the path. This part introduces the concept of no absolutes and discusses the reasons why we should adopt this new way of thinking. The nature of things. This part explores the implications of no absolutes on our understanding of reality, consciousness, and free will. A framework for life. This part provides practical guidance on how to apply no absolutes to our lives. George argues that no absolutes can help us to reduce conflict and suffering by abandoning the idea of absolute truths. We can be more open-minded and tolerant to different perspectives. This can help to reduce conflict and suffering in our personal lives and in the world at large. Uh, this is uh, almost done. Live more authentic lives. By embracing the fluidity of life, we can be more true to ourselves and live our lives according to our own values and beliefs. This can lead to greater happiness and fulfillment. Uh, and create a better future by adopting a more holistic and interconnected view of the world. We can work together to create a more sustainable and equitable future for all. No Absolutes is a thought-provoking and challenging book that offers a new way of thinking about the world. It is a must-read for anyone who is interested in, in, in expanding their horizons and living a more fulfilling life. I love it, man. I think that's a great summary. Yeah, I was. In, uh, it was fascinating. The the bot actually got the book. Yeah, yeah. I think it's showing a whole other level of breaking things down into a, a human context in a way. I, maybe that shouldn't be so surprising if it's if it's you know coded by humans. Like, why wouldn't it break it down that way? But it just seems like it's really on point, man. Yeah. Well. It's interesting, you know, it's, um, you know, I guess we kind of take for granted, you know, what our capacity is to kind of reason, right? right? You know, all the things are, all of our learned experiences, all of our genetics, all of our environment, all of these things are all built into this, this, where we get just kind of this instant flow of, you know, reality. Meanwhile, these things can take the grand total of all of that and sift through it and then pull something together. So you're talking, and it's not all of, it's not the summation by any stretch of the imagination of, of human experience, right? Because it's all kind of translated through text and pictures and videos and, you know, obviously misses emotion and, you know, other things that are pretty integral to understanding, uh, uh, you know, uh, morals and ethics and things like that. So it, it's still a step away from artificial general intelligence, but we could talk about that yeah. a little bit later. Um, but yeah, so you're essentially getting kind of like a representation, a reflection of humanity, of what these models have been trained on, at least as a subset of humanity. And so, you know, that becomes a very interesting thing too, because now 
with all of the regulation that's happening um, and all of the explosion of AI, you have, a, you know, almost an arms race that's being created. You got a lot of big companies open sourcing things. You got a lot of people privatizing things. You got Twitter's throwing up stuff. You got Facebook throwing up stuff. You got Google throwing it up. You got you know, open AI. You got all these different hats in the ring now. And now the governments are, you know, coming and peeking around. And so I think what's going to happen is the cat's out of the bag. You can't put it back in. But all of a sudden, you know, these things can be really so foundationally changing to how even small communities could be ran. Imagine if you had um, one of these AI models and you have it loaded in with all sorts of mechanical schematics for everything from your solar and wind generator to the inverter to all of this stuff and something breaks on your homestead. Now, you, you can take a picture of what's broken, load it into this AI model. It can analyze all of that. It, it tell you exactly what part you need, how to fix it, and, you know, and, and, and the steps on how to do that. Now, all of a sudden, you, you know, you don't need a guy, right? Yeah. Um, so it, there's a lot of great benefit potential for, for uh, just individual, you know, kind of uh, liberty uh, if it's applied the right way. And then there's also the opposite of that as well. And I think, you know, uh, 2024 is going to be a really interesting ride when it comes to all of that. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, you know, it, it brings up this interesting idea too about um, accelerationism. And when I think of accelerationism, I think of um, Sam Altman and this whole thing that kind of went down with, with this, with uh, mm -hmm. chat GPT, right? Like all of a sudden you have this open AI platform and then this guy that was the founder gets kicked out. Like what the heck's going on here? This guy that the brainchild got kicked out. Hey, wait a minute. He's in bed with Microsoft. Hey, wait a minute. This is an open platform. How come they're making all this money on here? You know, so <laughs> I kind of dove down that rabbit hole a little bit. And, and while I don't know a whole lot about it, what really was fascinating to me was this idea that it seems to me Sam Altman is a bit of an EAC guy. And for those that may not know EAC, that's like this acceleration. Like we got to get, we're going to get automated AI running full steam full steam ahead, move fast, break stuff. That seems to me to be the course on which Sam Altman is on. Not like he's trying to do it violently, not like he's trying to crash stuff, but it seems to me the EAC mindset is that the best way we get the world running in an efficient and effective and a more fair world is by accelerating AI to a level where everybody has it. Now, it seems to me that the, the, the argument against that is, hey, wait a minute. You have no idea how bad people are, and they're going to destroy the world if we give them this kind of stuff. Does that seem about like the EAC versus the the altruism sort of debate there, Ben? Or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think they actually, and he, if I recall, take it uh, even a step further. I think the idea is is that you accelerate it so fast to the point where um, it can outcompete any competition, and essentially, by that measure, creates some form of utopia but thereby because it would thereby you know eliminate the need for work mm. human labor essentially um i think that's kind of like their their end goal uh but you know therein lies the problem too is yeah who holds the keys to all of that 
And who's to say it's then human labor? I mean, if, if the wrong person holds the keys to that, or, you know, if um, somebody else, because of all your advancements, cracks this open too and, and builds something that's aggressive and, uh, you know, attacks and kills your little nice utopian AI, uh, what do you do then? You know, it, it, this is a story that's been played out in humanity, you know, since the invention of tools, right? Yeah. Um, and so this is just another tool. Now, granted, this tool does have some very interesting capacities that previous tools haven't had. And it does have access to all previous tools, which makes it probably even more dangerous than anything we've ever built, potentially. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, it, it's not going away. So now the question becomes, what do you do? Uh, and I think, you know, uh, any smart like researcher at this point has probably started to pick up this stuff and, and started to play with it because yeah. the writing's clearly on the wall. Right. Um, it, it's definitely not going away. Uh, and so now I think you're going to, you know, now it's going from, you know, the breakthrough to the people who can actually do something with it. The, the engineering mob, you know, all of yeah. these tinkerers, all of these people who have been, you know, putting code on on GitHub for 25 years or, tw you know, the past 15 years, however long GitHub's been up now, um, you know, things like that. You know, people who are stack exchange gurus and stuff like that, because here's here's what it is. So in, you know, and I'm just working on this in, in a few hours at a time here and there. Um, but you can load a large language model on a local computer. You can then connect that large language model as a server, just like a chat GPT is out there, and connect all sorts of different things to that server. For instance, one thing that I have is a, a, a program that's called Autogen. And what that does is it allows you to create two different profiles and user profiles and tell these large language models, hey, I want you to basically play out a scenario, run a story for me. I want you to assume the role of, in my case, I've done a project manager and a coder. And then you, you basically put them in a group chat is essentially what happens. And you give them a task and they have the ability to, you know, write the code, execute the code, refix the code. And it becomes a conversation back and forth between these two user profiles that you set up. And they're defined by characteristics like, hey, I'm a world-class coder that, you know, you could even say it has worked at Google or whatever if you wanted to. <laughs> um, and so you set these defined kind of characteristics and roles for these different users and allow them to talk back and forth, essentially play out a story. And then, but the result of that is that story actually has real-world implications as it's actually writing a real program and running a real program. And doing something in the real world through that, that interaction of, of things. Now you can ask it to write the program the same way, but you actually get better results when it has a conversation with itself. That's so amazing. In this particular scenario, what kind of code are you having it write? Uh, it's, it's, well, this, I've done a, quite a few things. I've done simple stuff and now it's doing a complex one of, uh, connecting to Twitter and essentially sending a hello world message. So if you see a hello world message on my Twitter account anytime soon, <laughs> the AI did it. <laughs> 
And have you experimented with changing the personalities of those? And does that affect the model? Yeah, it does. So you can, you can, uh, you know, make the coder snarky, you know, like he's kind of, you know, his, his shit doesn't stink, so to speak. And you can actually say that like as a characteristic for him. And then what you can do with another pro another program called MemGPT GPT is you can actually look under the box of what these different pro or what these different user profiles, these different personalities are thinking, not what they're actually interacting with each other as, but what they're thinking individually to have those interactions. And so, you know, if you make him resentful or whatnot, he'll actually, you know, he'll he'll be like, oh, yeah, the project manager, he always asks for this, even though I'm always right. And that thought will actually, that'll be part of that little play that this, this large language model is playing out. Man, it just, it makes me think that while we're getting to use this technology now, you know, people like Palantir have had this technology probably for the last decade. And if they've had this much technology for the last decade, how much of this is like, why wouldn't you be running full simulations about how populations work? You know so, I mean? well, so here's the thing. I, okay. They may or may not have, obviously, you know, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of stuff that's developed in private sector that takes decades to reach <laughs> public. We know that. Uh, however, you know, it really wasn't until the advent of this kind of this thing called the transformer that really allowed because before this, uh, if you remember, the, the buzzword was always neural network right? right, and machine learning. And the idea was, is that we're just loading all this data and connections and machine learning that's changing all these weights and giving us better and better answers. Um, it wasn't until the advent of the transformer that allowed kind of like this large language model to develop where we kind of get the sense of reasoning almost a little bit through this and, and, and whatnot. So that was 2017, if I recall. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's to William LaSalle's point right here. An AI could fit, whoops, an AI could fit right in with families that are a little unusual. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you start thinking about transformer, you start thinking about trans people, you know, in some sort um, of strange way. What, what does that mean though, Ben? Like, okay, so if we take this, this example of the transformer, these large language models, and this idea of 2024, you know, with this election coming up, we know what happened during the last election. Well, we have people have ideas of what happened during the last election. What we know for sure is that the last election saw an incredible amount of influence through different bots. What, what do you think may happen now with this new advent with technology? Like, what are some <laughs> things that could be on the horizon for that? Um, you know, it's almost one of those things where you don't want to speak it into existence. <laughs> Let's speak it into existence. Let's do it. Let's create uh, I don't it. Know. Uh, well, so here's the thing. The example I just gave you, if all of a sudden on my Twitter, you see a hello world message pop up. That was something that did not require me i had to set up the whole thing but assume it's all set up that didn't require anything of me as a coder mm -hmm. me as a programmer of me as a project manager of me as a designer or anything like this um and i could it, it could make a front end for it it could do all of these things it could also say hey 
every time somebody sends you a direct message, I want you to load that and hold that direct message into uh, individual chat. And I want you to chat with those people. Now, this is a large language model. It's Forte is chatting with people, yeah. right? Now, all of a sudden, you have this thing that could carry on thousands of conversations from a single account looking by and large pretty real especially if you so there's this thing called fine tuning in, in all of these large language models that you can download and fine tune yourself which essentially allows me to you know when asked certain questions give these types of responses don't give these types of responses or you know when approached in this type of aggressive manner react this way and so you could really finely tune Taylor kind of a personality if you will that would interact with all of these people and, and wouldn't really ever seem off the rails or would really just kind of push a propaganda point or would really you know you could even have it be subtle and try to you know persuade people um, you know because think about it it has pretty much every bit of persuasive literature ever written if it's given the proper framework to build and have these conversations and create this little role play story world of it's that it essentially would be having with a human now and you create that proper framework you know unless you actually knew that that was real it would be really hard to tell these days man yeah it's mesmerizing to think of of the parameters you could put in there like hey find me look for young men between or look for men between the ages of 15 and 40 that watch this particular type of porn that seem to have misplaced anger and then have them all meet up over here, you know, or maybe then you could, you could, you could, you could sprinkle in the subtle nuance of pick your ism. You know what I mean? And, sure. and just get that going. And it's, it's, it's interesting to think, but on some level, that's always been the case on it's some just, level, yeah. right? But but now now you're essentially changing the weight of the equation. Okay. Where where it used to be, you know, A plus B plus C equals D. Now you're getting it's A plus C times ten thousand plus mm. D or plus C equals D. So those two Ds are not the same anymore. So you know, um, yeah, it can be one of those things where and. You know, look, we got plenty of examples of people mistreating things. So why why assume that they wouldn't? Right. <clears throat> but we have, you know, it's one of those things where you could easily sway opinion, especially in you know localized fashion. Um, just imagine this thing joining a local Facebook group or community group, right? Um, you know, your your little town there, right? Uh, yeah. Your town's group. And it's posting pictures that are from the local town because it has access to all of those. Posting, you know, write-ups about the local politicians and in whatever way it's trying to sway because it has access to all that. And and now the the cost of doing this used to be kind of mediated by labor and mm -hmm. keeping a secret and all of those right. other things. AI keeps a pretty damn good secret. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the quite often you hear about people worried about misinformation oh it's misinformation it's malinformation but 
the same people that are worried about it are the very people that are implementing it. You know, and I'm not sure if anybody really wants it to go away because the second it goes away, now you lose all your influence, you know? And it's like, these guys, that's misinformation. Everybody it's just like, misinformation is a joint finger, is a giant finger pointing at the other person and they both hide behind it, you know? So like, I, I don't know that you can ever get away from it. And you see, you know, may, maybe, maybe what people in positions of authority are really afraid of is that, you know, the A squared plus B squared equals C squared is is a functional model. But if you have A squared plus B squared and you can't solve for another one, if you can't solve for a, a variable, now you don't know what's going to happen. Now all this money you've invested is could be pointless because you could lose to the long shot that, you know, was the 15 horse or something like that. Because anybody can do it, right? A kid that's 15 can come up with a chat bot that's way more influential than Cambridge mm -hmm. Analytica did. Mm -hmm. You know, they may have paid some dummy over there millions of dollars, and here comes here comes George from Hawaii that just put in a little chat bot, and now he's running the game. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it would be be quite so simple, but there is a certain degree of risk okay. exposure that they are now exposed to because of all these things, and you know every empire in history does not like being exposed to risk. That's kind of how it is. Right. right. Um, and they go way out of their ways to mitigate risk, right. including so much as to run propaganda campaigns. And I think we'd be hard pressed to find any sort of empire or kingdom in history that hasn't ran any right. sort of propaganda campaign against their populace, let alone other people. So, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, they're kind of part and parcel to one another. At least they have been throughout the, the breadth of human history. And so to expect it to just change when the new, brightest, shiniest, biggest, badasses tool just hit the market. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't have high yeah. hopes for that one. Yeah. It's interesting to see for those people paying attention. Like if you if you want to see the propaganda show, just turn on your television. Turn on the radio. It's everywhere, you know, and especially during a election year, like you see a really ramp up. And in some ways it's, I'm always fascinated by it. Like it's a, it's a train wreck that you can't turn away from. Like, wow, that was very influential or wow. They're really pulling on the heartstrings of these people that are victims over here. You know, and it's, it's so despicable in some ways, but also so shiny in other ways. Well, we're, you know, we have a natural in inclination to a disaster, yeah. right? Back to how we, we started the conversation. Yeah. You know, our immediate future in terms of all of our science fiction literature and all of our fiction literature, for the, you know, in science fiction or not, you know, even like when we're talking about a time in the past in fiction stuff or even fictional locations, it's yeah. most often a disaster situation, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Harry Potter is, well, there's the big bad guy who's coming to end everything. You know, you got Lord of the Rings, big bad guy yeah. coming to end everything. You know, it's and so we kind of live in this bubble of of disaster. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon if you think about it. I had a yeah. point. I forgot where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I was just, you know, when we talk about the election year and we talk about bubbles of disaster and propaganda, it's interesting to see the debate that's happening with X right now. When you mm -hmm. see, I don't know, I, I watched this um, Elon Musk versus um, kind of Disney sort of 
sort of thing play out. I, for, I forgot where it was, but Elon Musk had a really long interview where he was speaking to a, a guy and they were talking about all the problems with with um, free speech and talking about all these problems. And um, a lot during that conversation, it came up that Disney had pulled all their sponsorship and all these people were pulling sponsorships from X because mm -hmm. they didn't like Elon Musk allowing people to go on and say whatever they wanted to say. And in that interview, it's really candid. He's he pretty much told Bob Igor, like, well, fuck off then, man. Like, yeah, I saw I don't the high pull all your money. Yeah. Wasn't that that was pretty amazing? I, I kind of like to see that. Like, let's see some real debate. Let's see what happens behind the scenes. Hey, you know what? That was the American spirit back in the day. Yeah, I agree. It really was. Now, you could argue for better or for worse, but you know, applied at the right time, certainly for better. Yeah. You know, and I think there's there's a lot to be said about, you know, just because some, you know, just because we've always done something a certain way, definitely doesn't mean we should continue doing that way. I, doing it that way. I think that's actually probably one of the most absurd things if we were just to look in relation to what nature is, what humanity right. is, what all this stuff is. It's all about change. Yep. And you want to be a stick in the mud? Well, you're going to get buried <laughs> like every other stick in the mud throughout all the fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Change is painful. And especially to the people that are on top, when change comes, like they're the last people that want to change. Like, what do you mean you well, want to yeah. change? We're they got it made it. in the shade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was an ultimate. Um, so that conversation comes up and then a week later they bring Alex Jones back onto Twitter. You know, you yeah, can just kind of see him just changing blows right there. Like, Oh, you don't want me. You don't like me having this. Okay. How about that? You like that? You know, <laughs> you're going to pull all your money. Okay. I'll just bring all these people back that you hate. You know, it's it's pretty so, interesting to see. It. And here's a really interesting thing. Make a prediction of who's going to win that battle. It's going to be X. Yeah. And, and and for the exact reason we were just talking about. Yeah. It's the disaster. Yep. It's nothing but a fucking train wreck every single day. Yeah. You know what? Are you going to watch the, you know, the, the highlights about the weather? Or are you going to watch the train wreck? Are you going to watch somebody's spit take about what happened yesterday? Are you going to watch the train wreck? You're going to you're going to watch the train wreck for all any scenario you yep. can imagine. Again, because we're attracted and we're encompassed in this disaster bubble, right? And and so yeah, you know I think ultimately X wins that at the end of the day. Me too. Like if if we just take it from a purely information entertainment, okay, uh, call it propaganda call it information, call it attention getters, whatever you want to call it. But are you going to watch Israel invaded Hamas? Or are you going to watch Alex Jones be like, these lizards came over here and what they're going to do with the WEF is take all you like, like, I don't like, I think Alex Jones is a little bit more of like, he's more entertaining than well, see, watching Israel and Hamas. I agree with you, but but here's the thing: X wins because they don't even have to make that choice. They don't. One side, they the vote. one side, the one side has made the choice that all we're going to do is this. The other side says, well, "We're going to do it all." Yeah. Where are people going to gravitate towards yeah. abundance or lack of abundance? And it's you know it's always abundance. Okay, so this brings up a whole fascinating angle too like i feel we are moving into this world of abundance you know for so long it seems to me that we've been under the thumb of this idea of scarcity and it's it's been something we've all been conditioned in in schools hey man you got to go there and you got to work this particular job or 
You got to go to school for this long to get this, to get in this box so that you can have this much money. And it seems to me like that particular scaffolding is falling away. If you just use X as an example, they do have abundance. What do you want to watch? You want to watch fear porn? You want to watch regular porn? You want to watch war? You want to watch history? It's all right there, man. They have all of it. And then you have these other people that are like, we're just going to do Disney movies. We're going to do this. And they're like, we have all of it, man. Come over here. Yeah, we got all of it. When you look at it from that angle, you can see the old establishment falling away because they're irrelevant. They've chosen not to change. They've chosen not to be all. They've chosen well, to be scarce. And it's really, you know, it's, it's really kind of comical because, you know, just in the entertainment industry alone, within the lifetimes of everybody who's working in it, uh, this story has already played out. We went yeah. from local news stations to buy it all in cable. Yeah. To you know cut the cord to now you're now we're all eating so this these cycles just continue and you could look at it even from the sense of magazines and television and movies and all of those things related in a, in a larger timeline and so you know it's not like the writing's not on the wall you know it's just because these people get greedy and they try to gouge people that that yeah. becomes the cycle and you know, it, you know, when you try to gouge people morally and ethically, and you know, remove their liberty and freedom, sure, now you really gonna you're gonna move the needle when it bounces when that pendulum bounces back the other direction. You know, it, it brings up this idea that like, our for me, I'm just speaking from my experience, but it seems to me like we need to rethink what is valuable. Like, it seems to me for so long, things that were scarce were valuable. Like this is a scarce resource. So it's valuable. But how does that change when we have abundance? Like are it changes the value, right? Well, you're assuming we get to abundance, but let's assume we get to abundance. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You know, value absolutely is, is constantly in a, in a state of change. Right. Um, you know, value, you remember keeping up with the Joneses value right. has been materialism and consumerism for driven for, you know, since at least the eighties <laughs> when, yeah, when it really kicked off. Um, and, but now all of a sudden, you know, uh, goods became cheap, you know, not only cheap in the sense of cost, but cheap in the sense of there's just so much. How many TVs does everybody have? How many cell phones has everybody had? You know, there's just so much. So it's just, it, it's a cheap factor. It's no longer something special. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we're going to, well, where was I going with that? What were we talking about? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about, I was assuming abundance and that the values oh, right. change. Right. So in that system, you know, value is going to necessarily it's going to necessitate change. We're going to filter back into what we're already seeing. Value is authenticity. Value is, mm -hmm. is the real conversation. Value is, you know, the, the inner, the things that really, you know, are entertaining and, and bring joy to your life. Value is nature for a lot of people. You're watching a lot more people go back outside for the yeah. first time in, you know, years since the screens have invaded life. Right. Yeah. Um, you got all sorts of movements in that direction. We got all sorts of, we talk about it all the time in terms of psychedelics, you know? Yeah. You have all, so I think the value judgment that society places on things is definitely already changing and it has been changing. I think it's probably been changing since the advent of the internet, really. 
Yeah. Because that's, you know, that, that just mass sharing of information that that worldwide communication just kind of took us to a a point where of you know you just have access to everything you didn't have to know the obscure book you didn't have to go to a library you didn't have to do anything and then all of a sudden it wasn't just text and information then it's entertainment and shopping and all of these things and so and and now we're at the stage of ais right and yeah and and content creators and individuals being able to have a conversation 1600 miles away from each other in real time and share it with the world value is definitely changing in, in society so there's another interesting phenomenon that i'm thinking about and it's this idea of value in community and, and what does that mean for supply chains like you know uh my wife buys a lot of stuff from timu which is like this chinese amazon you can get like you can get stuff. I got a I got a I don't have it here in front of me, but I got a uh everybody knows Yeti. I got mm. a cold cup and it's like the exact same except instead of Yeti, it says cold. And it was for eight <laughs> bucks, man. I got a I got a Yeti cold for eight bucks. And I, I recently went to the Yeti store in the Ala mm. Moana, which is like this giant giant mall that has like all like the big brands and stuff there. You go in first off, I like Yeti. I think that they have cool products and like but I go into their store and I'm like Okay, they have like a 1,500 square foot place. I guarantee you that it's probably $6,000 a month minimum for oh, that yeah. little place. Minimum. A lot and more than that probably. Uh, <laughs> probably closer to 15 or 20. Yeah. Like it's a, it's a premier mall. It's right on the water. And so I'm thinking to myself like, okay, yeah, no wonder they're selling something like this cup for like 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. You know, but if I can yeah, go all on, the overhead. All of it, right? It's like, wow, okay. But if I can go on, if I can get it from the same factory at, in China for like six bucks, you start you start looking at just that model, and you start thinking about like, oh, globalization, supply chains, and you realize like how much longer can all these big businesses even stay in business when I can go to Timu, when I can go to the Chinese supplier and buy that exact same product for right. six bucks, like like. So I guess the point I'm trying to get at is value in supply chains like how is that changing the world then well, like value of goods that's okay. what i was that's what i was referencing is the value we place in goods and in materialism is going away because now it, it's it's everybody's had all the tvs we have right. all the phones we have all this stuff and to your point there now you can get it at a fraction of the cost of you know what even you can you would think it you should even pay for it and you go huh well, if it's so cheap and it's so ubiquitous, it's definitely not special. That's kind that's of right. that's the value yeah. judgment our brain makes. Right. It's not right. it's not a conscious thing necessarily. Right. But you know, it's it's a logical thing, right? Right. You don't we don't have to worry about it because you know we're kind of geared still from an evolutional perspective to you know if if we see scarcity, we, we hoard it. Right. Be, because that means that it might be a rough winter, right? Yeah, um, but but if all of a sudden we see abundance, we're we're not plucked. You know, it doesn't matter. So so I think that same thing is actually playing itself out in materialism, right? And and so I think that's that's definitely one of the undercurrents that's leading to the value changes in society. And I think one of those value changes, maybe to what you're trying to get to, um, is community. And yeah. I think we're going to start to see the return of community because we've we've watched community basically be annihilated over you know over the past 30 years yeah um 
I can't tell you my neighbor's names. Right? I, 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 I doubt many people could. Uh, it's just that's not how the world is anymore. Um, but I think it is that value is going to change because now it is back to authenticity. It is about people's value. What they bring to the table is not, you know, not not necessarily like uh, in a survival sense or anything like that. But what they bring to the table is, hey, you know, we can have better lives if we work together and, you know, shared our little fence space over here and made a, a garden. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. And because, you know, now the tools and the ability to do all of these things are so cost effective and, you know, they're all the kind of legal frameworks and all of this stuff are kind of in play and all of these new advanced tools from a technological perspective, like AIs to help these situations are all here. Now you're going to, I think we're going to see a, a, a shift back towards to community. And I think that's going to coincide with something we've talked about before, but which is kind of like the fracturing of nation states. There's an interesting dichotomy I hear there because I have all these incredible friends and people that I've been meeting from around the world. And I'm like, oh, I found my tribe and they're everywhere, mm -hmm. you know, but at the same time, like I, I do see all these tools to make my community better. And I want to value the, the things that people are making in my community. I, I still value the reach of the people I have around the world. And in some ways, like I feel closer to you than I do my neighbor, man. Like we have Indeed. incredible long conversations than I do with my neighbor. I love my neighbors and I can name all of them. You know, well, but good I, for you. Aren't you special? <laughs> I know. I know. Call me a bragger. You know, I go talk to all. I know their kids. Forget oh, about wow. Like, look at this guy. Mr. <laughs> Community over here. <laughs> Like a good neighbor, George is there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, isn't that an interesting thing though? Because I do see the bridging of community coming together, but at the same time, like there's this global community growing too. I, I guess that is that factor into the fracturing of nation states as well. Right, because I think you know the more and more that people start to see people as people. Um, oh, okay. You know, uh, the more and more you get that, that just that just spreads out. You know, it's like a ripple in a pond. Right. It's, you know, it's just going to continue to spread and spread and spread. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to be less and less about, you know, religions and skin colors and locations and more and more about, hey, you have the same interests, same philosophy. You have the same outlook on life. You've researched these things, too. And wow, maybe we should have, maybe we should get a little bit more serious about, you know, maybe let's do something. Let's talk about it at least. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And more and more of that will happen. And because of, you know, just this interconnected, you know, continually more interconnected global community where we can actually do more than just chat to each other in a text little message. We can get a, a feel for each other. We've never met in person, George, but we've had great conversations. Yeah. We've had heart to heart conversations. We've spent hours bullshitting um and, and as more and more of that continues to pervade culture and more and more people look at you know content creation and podcasting and all of these things as not even necessarily a means to an end in life but as a part of life uh I, I, that's gonna that's gonna really kind of just push the momentum in the direction of why do we need this big umbrella thing that's really just kind of you know it's taken a lot of resources from us right and at the end of the day it doesn't look like it's given as much back as it used to 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, that's being very fair about the situation. You can be much more critical of the situation. And I think that uh, that range of fairness to criticality combined with all these other factors is going to, you know, people are going to start asking, well, why are we doing this? And I don't think it has to be a, a violent why. I think it, it could be a very just kind of epiphanistic, epiphanistic, epiphanistic why. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I had that word. Uh, oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. It, you know, if, if they wanted to have a war and no one showed up, what would happen, right? It's exactly. Just... I don't feel like going to war today, guys. Do you? Yeah. yeah not really. Yeah. So why are you upset? Oh, we were just bummed out about this this little thing over here. Oh, that thing? Oh, I don't care about that thing. Yeah. All right. See you tomorrow, yeah. Bob. See you. Yeah. <laughs> Taxes? What do you mean? I'm not paying those. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not going to pay those. No one pays those. Come on. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, well, and back to the and, – and this is why I think it it's not, doesn't have to be some big civil war blown out big right. thing. I think – so it goes back to the, the shifting of value in, in society. And as that value continues to shift into community, now all of a sudden the question becomes, well, why are we sending all this money over here when right. we could actually take this money and we know we all want to do the same thing with it and do it right here. As soon as that becomes clear and present for groups of people, you know, uh, I, that's kind of probably the beginning of the end of, of, of that, uh, of, of things when it comes to big nation states. And that's not to say that they go away just like overnight or it's like some big dramatic dystopian thing. It's just that there'll probably be struggles and hardships. Sure, change is hard. But at the end of the day, I think it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it'll just be the people who are taking advantage of the system, they're going to have the largest hardships. It's, yeah. you know, but the people who have been honest with and, and you know, been operated with integrity and have, you know, done the right thing by their neighbor and lived yep. a moral and ethical existence, they're going to come out just fine, smiling like a client, happy on the other end. Yeah, I think so, too. It's, you know, it's I heard a good quote one time that was something along the lines of when when the people realize that the economy depends on them, that's when the economy changes, you know, and on some level we're beginning to understand that it was better than that, but it was something along the lines of like, sure. you know, look, the economy can't function without us. Like, and that should be an epiphanistic. What is the word? <laughs> <laughs> that should Ep be an epiphanistic. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like making should, it up. It's a new word. So as is. far as I know, <laughs> we we'll have to put it in a Google Bard and figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, like I once once enough people come to that conclusion, like oh, it, it can't function without us. Okay, well then we control it. Okay, well we don't want to do this anymore. You know, and and on some level you can see that happening. Probably that might be why everyone is so worried. People in positions of authority are so worried about this election, like. This could be the election where we go, you know what? We're not going to do it anymore. We're going to, here's some new ballot initiatives where we're going to keep no more foreign aid. That's just going to stay in our community. We're not going to give that away anymore. Like that, that can't be that far away, right? Well, it's definitely not going to be 2024 because that's all already bought and paid for. Mm. All the, all the people who make those votes have already taken donations to run their campaigns. Right. So, you know, I think that's unlikely. 
However, um, I, you know, I, I, I do see these things kind of emerging, not at, at any sort of national big level, but at, at local and regional right. levels. Yeah. Right. I think all of a sudden you're just going to see there'll be a ballot on, on a local city, the small little town that's, you know, a few thousand people. And they're going to be like, hey, um, we're actually going to do away with X, Y and Z. And uh, we're just going to take control of this for ourselves. And, you know, that'll be that. And and then uh, the states will, you know, depending on where you're at, they'll say, oh, my gosh, are we going to get behind these people or are we going to persecute these people? And I think you'll see two both sides of that coin and certain states will be like, hey, if, you know, we're going to back this. And then because of the way the Constitution's written, you'll have states where you, you know, taxes are entirely different. Uh, you know, cost of living is entirely different. Uh, subsidies aren't paid to certain things where they are other places. You know, all of that stuff that taxes does that people really, once they figure out, are kind of disillusioned by all that can go away at the state level. And so, and then I think, so that'll kind of be the first little pulse of this, if you will. You know what, on some level, I kind of see that happening in my community. I want to talk about this project that I'm, that I've begun to work in Ben and get your ideas on it. Mm -hmm. So we talk about the old system falling away and I'm involved in this new project called Mahalo stars. And it, it aims to democratize your information on the internet. So if you look at how much money Google has, if you look at how much money Oracle has, if you look at how much money Amazon has, whenever you go onto those pages, you want to sign up as a seller or something like that. Like, you know, you're giving away not only 50% of your project, mm -hmm. you know, or 60%, but all the information that comes with it. anybody that signs up, like that's mm -hmm. all worth money, right? They say, if, if you're getting a service for free, then you're the product. But let's, let's see, like in this new venture I'm working on, we have a way in which we can give people their information back. So let's say that this particular project takes off and now you can get a micropayment just for surfing, just for going on and talking, creating content. You're going to get a piece of the overall pie. Imagine if Google paid out all their, all their money instead of one or two guys owning the equivalent of a small country's GDP. Now everybody in that country can get a slice of that. It's almost like a universal basic income without having to go through the state. Like, and that's pretty profound. If that begins to happen, all of a sudden the ideas of the state kind of fall away. And you mm -hmm. have this sort of uplifting of all boats beginning. And that changes the fundamental way people think, right? What do you think about that? Yeah, so um, this is an emerging thing that I see a lot of. Uh, and there's, uh, I'm an advisor for another company called CyberLeap. Um, who is doing a similar idea where they are essentially all of these gamers and all, all these people playing video games. All of that, all of that human movement is, uh, is valuable data. Uh, now what you can do with that is stuff like edge computing, right? You, you can do protein folding. You can do all of these, all these interesting, you know, experiments with all of this randomized data from users. So now they're looking at paying gamers for gaming, right? All the time right. spent gaming. And right. so there, and I, there's a couple other outfits that I've seen that are doing similar things where, um, cause the reality of the situation is, you know, like we we're talking about the value is shifting in society. And part of that value shift is, Hey Google, why the fuck are you worth billions of dollars? And I'm still getting NSF fee charges on my checking account. And that's a serious question at yeah. the end of the day. 
And and so that serious question is birthing a serious answer. And that serious answer is going to be a, a foundational shift if it's done properly. And it will eventually be done properly because if you think about it, it's a volume game. Yeah. So if you get all the people on board, you win, you know, you win the game and they win the game. And because of it's, a, it's such a win-win proposition, you know, you're just going to outcompete your comp, you know, your competition, your Googles in the marketplace. And so I think, you know, and this harkens back to a lot of what we've been talking about, about parallel economies and, yeah, and parallel agreed. societies and things like this. And, and these are just going to be one of many, I think, little kind of foundational tools of, of structure, of, of frameworks of how these different communities, societies, um, you know, even regions choose to operate. Yeah, it's, you know, it, on some level, I'm reminded of the first Apple commercial where mm -hmm. they show like all these IBM guys like lemmings running off a cliff. <laughs> and isn't it interesting that Apple and Google and Amazon are about to run off the cliff? I don't think people see it yet, but I think that yeah. they are the monoliths that are about to be dethroned at a oh, level. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's acceleration happens faster and faster. And we, we got to see these things rise and fall in our lifetime. Like they, mm -hmm. they haven't fallen yet, but you can see the way well, the, in which they're scrambling right now. Oh yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll be still kicking around like an sure. AT&T still kicking around. Sure. Right. But you know, nobody, nobody even knows what the hell Bell South was or Ma Bell or any of these things that right. preceded AT&T. And you know, AT&T is just another mobile carrier these days. They were a giant. They yeah. were the giant. Right. Right. Now they're just, they're still around and still will Google and still will Apple and still these things, I think, for, for quite some time. But I think the powerhouses of, of society and the, and the movers of the needle that they are today, I, I don't think that persists for too much longer. Now, I think as, because as we get to optical and quantum computing, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking, you're talking all of this stuff to do what Google's massive data centers do, you know, with acres of land inside your pocket yeah. at a certain scale of this stuff. Right. And, you know, once you, and that's again, back to what we were talking about before, now it becomes ubiquitous. Now the value in it changes. And so now the value is no longer the most fastest, you know, most processing intense machine because you can only, you only need to process so much data to get these most amazing things that we've developed over here. Those are going to be the next Googles, the next Apples. Yeah. It's, are they just too top? Like I, 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 in my mind, it seems that the life cycle of maybe, maybe it's just life in general that you grow to a certain point where you can no longer see what you've started, nor can you see innovation because you've hired all these people to believe in this one thing and you've trained them to see a certain way they can no longer see where it's going. And it's weird to say that about something like Google or Apple who have created all these cool products and they continue to create cool similar products but like should if those guys were smart and they are smart like but it seems to me that if you want to be the next fucking gargantuan monolith that you would be making everyone around you richer instead of just trying to steal from everybody and like they're just taking everyone's information just give back to everybody and you'll stay on top for a fucking longer period of time right well well you have to remember this was all born right after the cold war Mm. This was all all of this advent of information technology came right after the greatest, uh, you know, game of secrecy 
in, right. in modern history. And so I think a lot of that carried over into, you know, our society or our business sense uh, and strategies um, and just kind of culture in general. And so, but I think, again, as all of these values shift, I think you, you, you get rid of the need for this take, take, take philosophy. Yeah. Yep. And because again, we're 1600 miles away having a wonderful conversation, let alone all the people we know around the world who we can plug in at any moment yep. and have that same conversation. And as we get more connected in these things and as we get more tools and we can add more value and resources to the system, you know, we just move, we move on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, it's so complex into, and I, I guess we're all playing a part in making everyone richer. I think it's a better way to look at it. You know, it's easy to get upset with the large corporations or governments, or it's a lot, it's very easy to have a lot of misplaced anger, but maybe we're all responsible for making each one of us a little bit richer. Well, what's richer, George? I think richer is being more fulfilled. If I had to define rich, I would say living a life that's fulfilling. And for me, that's having relationships with people. That is coming to new ideas and learning and getting to be thought to help in some way. I think that's rich. I think that's rich too, brother. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Money helps. Money helps. because, yeah. but, but that's what's going to change in the future too is I, when we talk about ideas and value, you know, when we look at money as a as a, a placeholder for value that's changing too if our idea of value changes and money has to change with it right those are part and parcel right and it already is yeah look you got all these people who have made a lot of money on a whole bunch of imaginary digital funny money monopoly yeah. money as jp morgan has famously called it many a times yeah and and yet they're making more money than jp morgan's making yeah they've made funny money <laughs> has made jp morgan almost irrelevant well, you know. he keeps making a jackass of himself routinely. That's always fun to watch. Yeah. What are <laughs> what are some of the things I haven't been paying too much attention? What 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 has he been saying lately? Oh, he always he, he comes out every six, eight months or so and and is on some CNBC or something and always trashes Bitcoin and or cryptocurrency yeah. in some way. Right. It's been pretty consistent ever since the first little burst of cryptocurrency. They always interview these bankers. What do you think about Bitcoin? And they're like, oh, it's it's fake internet monopoly money. It's it's just a hoax. It's a pyramid scheme. It's all of these things. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny. I think uh, there was one website that used to track like how many times the mainstream media had predicted Bitcoin is going to fail and go to zero. It was like <laughs> in the hundreds a, a few years back, if I recall. So, yeah. It's, you know, I look at it like everybody who has bought into crypto, whether you got scammed or whether you got some coins that worked for you or whether you were able to participate in that crypto market and you were able to buy goods, you couldn't buy goods. I see everybody. And I hope this makes people feel good that may feel like they got burned. Like you contributed into creating a new idea of money. And if you look at it from that angle, you should be proud of yourself. You should be proud of yourself that you fucking took a chance. Yeah, maybe you got burned. You know what? Maybe, maybe you took your retirement money and put 80 grand in there and you turned it to $260,000 and then you lost all of it. You gotta tell your wife and your family about it. Maybe that happened to you. I don't know. Maybe that happened to some people, man. But regardless, you contributed to the well-being of humanity 
by helping us get rid of the current system we're in. You bought in. You paid your tuition into it, man. Like I, I, I like to look at it from that angle, Ben. You think that's a good angle? Wonderfully said as a cult leader. Wonderful <laughs> said. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice while I sit at my golden table. <laughs> oh, the things we tell ourselves, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm excited for it, though. I, I see so many avenues. And and beyond that, I think that it's helped, much like you and I didn't grow up with phones in our pocket, you know, we didn't grow up with cryptocurrencies. And I like to think the next generation grows up with these things that are already growing with them. Like, what does that do oh, yeah. for their imagination? Like, the next generation is like, oh, yeah, NFT, crypto, DAO, boom. Now they can go over the next thing. You know what I mean? And it's happening so fast. I mean, that's that's really cool at all. But, you know, looking back on it, if I had access to an AI like this, like something because I've actually why I've, I've given this thing tasks on coding. I've watched okay. it code because it'll go line by line. And I'm and I've like and I've watched it. And I've been like, hmm, I just learned something new. And I've been coding for 20 some years of my life. <laughs> Granted, I'm, I don't consider myself the grand master expert of anything, but at the end of the day, you know, learning yeah. something new by this machine doing just its thing completely autonomously, that's, that's pretty novel. And I think if that's actually explored into education, yeah. holy crap, you want some smart fucking kids, buddy. It's coming, man. Mm -hmm. It's, I think AI as a tool on all dimensions is just going to help us become such a better version of ourselves. And it, it's going to do that by explaining that, hey, you guys are, hey, dummies, look how dumb you are. You know, learning can be painful. No, it's perspective. It is perspective. That's well said. Maybe you can maybe expand on that. Well, I think, you know, if we look at kind of where the boundaries of society and culture has lied historically, it's I think it's pretty easy to surmise that there's always a discrepancy in perspective. Yeah. There's always a difference in the way that one group views another group. And that can be for a whole, whole host of different things. I mean, it can be something as simple as rivalries in a video game. Right. Yeah. But there's always these, these differences, but we don't get to understand that nuance until we're able to see those differences. And you can't see those differences without the proper access to information or education, wisdom or knowledge in order to, you know, have the proper worldview, the proper mo internal model to view these things with the proper philosophy to view these things with. And it's, through expanding our perspective that we begin to build that proper worldview and that model and connect better with our fellow human being. We start to see people as people and not as anything, but, you know, you know, it becomes a, a, a people for people network instead of a, you know, uh, me first and then you second network. And I, and I think that that opening of perspective naturally just kind of has a filter that takes a lot of the you know isms and it maybe not completely takes them out of society but definitely lessens them lessens them to a significant degree i like that man that should be in the new book <laughs> <laughs>
good, I'll, man. I'll get my AI assistant <laughs> yeah. on that. Man, yeah, I um, I like the perspective. You know, on the topic of perspective. I've been noticing this trend that's been happening for a while, but for some reason it's on the top of my mind after hearing that. And that's this idea of the linguistic change that is fundamentally, fundamentally changing the way we see reality, like this verbing of nouns, you know, like we saw it with Google and then now you Google things and the same way you look at Ben as a person, place, or a thing as a noun, or George as a person, place, or a noun, like, might it be, Ben is a process, like Ben is a noun. Like, do you bend that? You know what I mean? Like, or you George that, or, but if well, we begin thinking of nouns as verbs, how does that change the way we see the world? So, so here's a really interesting thing. And I've been talking about this a lot recently. Mm -hmm. It's been coming up in a lot of conversations. Um, so there was a study and what they did is they went and they found some African tribe that was pretty off the map, uncontacted ish, you know, mm -hmm. And uh, they took a color wheel and on that color wheel, it had a whole bunch of uh, green squares and one little blue square. And they took it to those people and asked them to find the color blue. And it took them a while to recognize the color blue. Whereas you and I, we would look at the color blue. And we're like, oh yeah, that one's blue instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And, but the interesting thing is, is the reverse is true too when they took a color wheel of all greens, but one was a slightly different shade and they presented it to like people in the Western world, you and I, we couldn't under, we couldn't understand the different shade. We couldn't figure it out. It took us longer and some people couldn't even figure it out. The takeaway here is, is that if we don't have a word for something, if we don't have a context, a framework for something mm -hmm. in our mind, we don't see it. That indigenous tribe had 30 some different names for different colors of green because that's their world. They have to be able to see those different shades. That's how they survive. So for them, they saw that different shade of green instantly. They already knew what it was. They had a word for it. Like we have a word for blue, mm -hmm. but they didn't have a word for blue. So it takes them longer to process it, longer for them to see it. So without that context, without that framework, we can't see these things. And so to your point about nouns changing into verbs and whatnot, without seeing the world through that perspective, we don't have the ability to understand the world in that way. And, and it's not that we can't detect the difference because we will. And, but it's when we reinforce that difference with uh, attaching, you know, knowledge and understanding to it in the sense of symbolism, in, in this case, words, uh, that's when we begin to contextualize it and build it into that internal worldview, that model for the world. And then we can see it. And thereby that affects our behaviors, that affects our, our choices and everything that we do in the world. Man. You know, it, it, it's, it reminds me of uh, psychedelics a little bit in that, you know, you always come up against that thing that you can't explain without a, without a linguistic pathway. You can't, mm -hmm comprehend anything right exactly and then you know you, you go back into you know uh ancient text esoteric esotericism and whatnot you know what was the first thing in the beginning the word there you go <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and, and then you run that forward till today and everything's about narrative control it brings us back to the idea of propaganda and getting mm -hmm. people to see things a certain way or 
understand it from my look at it from my point of view. Not mm-hmm. your, no, 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 no. Let's look at yeah, it. Yeah, we have all these we have all these funny, interesting ways of articulating this in society, but we never really think about the importance of the words and how yeah. we use them. Yeah. Hence, words are important, book number two. Eventually, (laughs) sometime in the future. That was a good plug, but I can't. There's the finger. All right. (laughs) It's fascinating to think about. You know, I think you start thinking about, you know, uh, I spoke to the, um, I spoke to Shanaz Soni yesterday, a rocket scientist who came from Pakistan. She spoke about the way in which she came to America through this arranged marriage and how when she went to school to take a test, the the everyone was going to take this test for a you know to to see if you could make it in the science program there. But because the son of the local politician was sick that day, they didn't want anybody to take the test. So mm-hmm. they, they were gonna they were gonna force the school to take the test another day. So the way they did that is they stood outside with guns and were like, we're gonna kill anybody that goes in there. But this <laughs> so girl that's went one in, way to do it. Yeah, like yeah. I guess we can't take the test today. But she tells this story about how she goes in, she goes in the room and like the guy's like, what do you get the hell out of here? We're going to kill you, you know? And, Mm -hmm. but it, I guess the reason I'm bringing that up is because the same way they use intimidation to kill, kill kill people or get people out of schools, they used to cut people's tongues out so they couldn't speak, you know, and they still, you know, like if you think about a liar, you think someone they don't want talking, they cut their tongue out or they take the books away because they don't want people to be educated or have the power, you know, it's interesting to think about it from that angle. Yeah. And I mean, that's always kind of been the dichotomy between, uh, you know, uh, rulership and the populace and in, in yeah. society. And it, it's been a tenuous balance. And but if you look over time, uh, the populace has continually won at great expense, right. but has continually won. And, it, you know, hence why we're even allowed to talk or to right. read and talk to each other and have conversations and speak about the state and all of these things. Right. Right. It's interesting. You know, I, I, it's so like, not, I guess multipolar on some levels. It's, it's interesting to be at a state where you can see multiple things happening at once. And one thing I see happening in this world right now is this, this dichotomy between entitlement and, and like power on one level, when I see people coming into the workplace and like, I want more money. Like I deserve better. Like I fully agree with them. like, yeah, you totally do. But are you working hard enough? You know what I mean? Like it's interesting to see those two points of view. Like these people want more. I, like when I, when I put on my hat as a union guy and I'm like, you know what? Fuck these guys, man. We're working, we're working 18 hours a day. And you're telling me that's eight hours of work. I'm not going to do it anymore. I want more. Like, and yeah, I should get more. But then you flip it around, and if I could, if I'm sitting at a board of directors, like this guy makes a hundred thousand dollars a year, I think he could do more. Mm-hmm. You know, like those two things exist at once, and I get it. I can see both sides of it, and I can have empathy for both of them. I, I don't know where the where the rubber meets the road because on well, one level, like you ready for uprising. The magic is in resolving the paradox. Mm. The the wizened man can hold both of those to be true and right. find the middle path. Right. And, and, and that's, and, and there is magic in the middle path. And that's in, in it's in resolving these apparent paradoxes, these dichotomies of life that that's where we move forward. 
that's where yeah. we take our steps forward, whether that be from, you know, a business perspective or group relationships or from just a personal one. Yeah. And I guess that, that, that's why we truly are at transformative times. Like you can see the world erupting, but might that be a sign of positive change? Hey, both sides have gotten to a point where it doesn't work. Now we have to find a middle way now. Indeed. Yep. Man. That that's might be how a, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. That's a good spot to maybe leave it at. But, but you know what, Ben? First off, I got a new segment that I'm doing, and you are the first person to do it, my friend. Uh-oh. Love so, to be a guinea pig. Yes. Here we go. So you have 44 seconds to tell me a, a story about Hawaii. It can be your definition. It can be something that happened. It could be an idea. But your time begins now. Okay. Hawaii, Hawaii, some islands in the sea. I guess I'll take it back to a distant place where there is evidence that Hawaii used to be a part of uh, the continent of Lemuria, Lemu, depending on where you're looking, uh, and stretched all the way from Hawaii down to Easter Island to, and then to the west to uh, Madagascar. And that's why there's a very interesting thing with lemurs in uh, like those southern regions and different species of monkeys on Hawaii and different insects and whatnot as well. So, yeah. Wonderful, beautiful place. Can't wait to come visit George, but uh, that's my take on Hawaii. I love it, man. Thank you for thank you for uh, playing a part, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Before I let you go, my friend, what do you got coming up? Where can people find you? What are you excited about? Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com for all my shenanigans. Um, not too much coming up. I'm just working on a lot of private stuff right now, and uh, but uh, yeah, I'll be hopping on podcasts here and there and releasing some things here and there. Maybe my... Uh, Twitter account will become powered by an AI. So we'll see about that. So yeah, just excited to uh, keep on working on stuff, keep on having great conversations and uh, watching the world change for a little bit better, even if it's just, you know, one community and small place at a time. I love it, man. I love talking to you, brother. And it's always you a too, great brother. time. And uh, we'll get back on. We'll start getting him on a more regular case, man. That's uh, everybody go down, check out the links down there, reach out, get your free book from Benjamin C. George. It's a fascinating read. It'll help you see the world without any absolutes, which I think is a framework for life. And I know that Ben does too. That's all we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a wonderful day. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that... I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. 
But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.